This is the naturalist. In every podcast episode, we're going to highlight the products, ideas, trends that are shaping the CPG industry. Or that we just really like. I think the next generation is going to have a, a broader palette and a broader sense of being a responsible consumer. For sustainable seafood and, and seaweeds, I think, you know, really focusing on, on how we harvest, how we fish, how we grow. Um, this kind of future of food is really important and we're kind of at the forefront of that. Oh, I'm so excited to be chatting about this with you. We have a special guest today, Jenna Fitz. She's our Senior Director of Conference and Community here at New Hope. So all that great content that you see at Natural Products Expo West and Expo East, NBJ Summit, all these great ways that we bring the many ideas within our natural products community to life at our shows are through Jenna and her team. So uh, Jenna, thanks for being here. Hello. I'm so excited to be here with you. All right. So, so much happens at Expo and I know everyone wants to be everywhere. You can only be one place at a time, unfortunately, at Expo. And there were so many great sessions at West this year in Anaheim. And I know one of them that you were particularly passionate about uh, that I just had an opportunity to listen to this morning, actually, is about the sustainable seafood, the sustainable ocean and all the great foods that are coming out of our oceans in a sustainable way. Um, well, tell me about that session at Expo. What's the deal? Who was on it? Why were you so excited about it? Absolutely. So the session was amazing. And it was about innovations in sustainable seafood CPG. And it really looked at what's happening in this category. There's, there's so much happening. And it means really, really good things for consumers, our oceans, and for things like climate change. They had an amazing conversation and they'll, they'll tell you a little bit more about what they're doing in a few minutes, but they're, they're innovating at the product level and in ocean and freshwater sourcing in such cool, cool ways. So Jenna, what is this, what is this movement called? Cause I've heard it called like the blue foods revolution, the blue food movement. It's not just seafood. What is like, how are you defining it? Or what are that, that awesome lineup of experts that we'll hear from in just a minute? Like, what are they calling this? I think they're looking at it as sustainable seafood and ocean and just waterway harvesting. I think we've forgotten and, and what they talk about a lot is that we we've forgotten that over 70% of the world is is covered in water and over 3 billion people globally get most of their protein sources and nutrition from waterways, whether they're rivers, lakes, oceans. And U.S. consumers aren't quite there yet in terms of our consumption and, and using these really biodiverse and sustainably raised ingredients. So it could be everything. I think the, the speakers that we heard that we'll hear from in this session are both using sustainably farm-raised aquatic organisms as well as wild caught from small and super traceable uh fisher fisher people so yeah i think they're they're all over the board we've, we've got a lot of water everywhere that we can use and and find nutrition in, in really responsible ways and we got a lot of water to cover with this conversation don't we jenna because so much is happening i know they had some good puns on there on their panel as well. So I don't fully hear any of those. But there is something about like that blue food revolution terminology that I've been getting excited about and hearing a little bit, a little bit more of, but there's a lot of nuance. We'll go into some of that. Um, and a lot of solutions. I mean, so many of the things we've talked about so far on the Naturalist podcast are trends, but trends that tie to bigger solutions. So as you noted, there's a climate story here, there's biodiversity 
diversity story here. And there's also just like really awesome flavors and expanding our palates. I was just looking at, we, we just ran a piece on newhope.com about the tinned fish um, category and how retailers can really expand that in their stores and some of the interesting things happening there. But we talked about one thing that we're seeing on social media and a lot of people are talking about secuterie boards. And I got really excited about that as a lover of charcuterie and plant-based charcuterie boards, seeing a lot of fun things happening. But I think that just speaks to, there's a lot of like interesting flavors coming out of this movement. There's a lot of interesting and new to many of us ingredients, new seafoods that people just have not been exposed to. So I think that's another part of it that, you know, could definitely get more consumers on board is just like the flavors and the exciting things happening in the space. Oh, definitely. I I love something that Adam Bennett Scout says a lot is that the American palate is is pretty much being fueled with sameness and comfort right now. So we're similar to eating chicken, beef and pork. Most consumers are eating salmon, tuna and shrimp. And there's so many other species out there that we could be trying with wonderful flavors, different nutrition profiles. And when we're dealing with overfishing or overharvesting of different species, trying these new delicious flavors and, and ingredients can really take take some pressure off of these ecosystems and, and different fishing areas around the world. So, oh my gosh, a secuterie board sounds amazing. <laughs> it does, it does. And how cool is that, that broadening our palates and opening our minds to new foods can actually be a part of that solution to overfishing, over farming, and a lot of the things that we're seeing as a result of our monoculture diet. So I think that that's really cool. And then of course, being able to be a part of the climate solution. Tell me a little bit more about that and some of your learnings from working with this this team that was on stage at Expo. How is this a really important part of that solution? Yeah. I mean, we just heard from the United Nations when they recently said that carbon removal is essential to remedying climate change. So our ocean and, and water systems are part of that essential system in drawing down carbon and things like kelp they grow very, very quickly. Sometimes I think around two feet per day. And when you think about what carbon they're pulling in to grow that biomass, it's astronomical when you think about it on a global scale. So there are new ingredients like kelp and and, and nori and such that can be brought into these products that have this really cool opportunity to address climate change while we're growing this amazing product that when you think about it, they don't require any inputs. So no pesticides, no herbicides, no additional nutrients that aren't already found in the ocean. They just need sunlight, carbon dioxide. And then they're, they're off to the races growing and creating this amazing something that this, this panel at Expo had said is one of the most, one of the more regenerative ingredient sources that we have available to us on this planet. So there is so much potential there. And it seems like there's a ton of collaboration happening in this space in particular, certainly across the industry. We're seeing collaboration around the regenerative movement, around sustainable packaging, and so much here. So what's that looking like, all these companies coming together? And and how critical is that to actually making a measurable difference? It is definitely showing up. And I think it's going to be really important for the growth of 
of this of this seafood category within retail. There's a new group called the Seafood Collab, and they're coming together to share best practices, education, information, how to raise money to support this underfunded category within our stores. So similar to what we might have seen from organizations like the Jedi Collaborative, Climate Collaborative, these these companies are are pre-competitive, collaborating on everything to help grow each other, grow this space, and trying to bring in the resources and the consumer education that that everybody needs to better understand these new these new ingredients and, and products that include mussels and rockfish and urchins and microalgae and, and so many things that are important to our ecosystems that we might not have known about or known how to use in our products. Well, Jenna, it sounds like there are so many collaborators and innovators coming together. And I'm so glad we had the opportunity to hear from them in Anaheim and now uh, give our natural list listeners an opportunity to hear what they have to say too. It was a wonderful conversation as wrapped as I could be by the conversation around sustainable seafood and and fisheries and new product innovation as I could be, I, I was. So I'm also very excited for everyone here to to hear this conversation. And it it really is wonderful hearing from Atlantic Sea Farms, Sea Monsters, Scout, Fishwife, and Neptune Snacks. They're five leaders in the space among many others that are just showing up as wonderful, wonderful sustainability advocates and taste innovators for everyone. My name is John. I'm the founder of Sea Monsters. We're a brand new way of snacking on seaweed. Our mission is really to get as many people as possible to eat seaweed every day. Nice. Becca. Awesome. <laughs> I'm Becca Mulstein. Um, I uh, co-founded and I'm the CEO of Fishwife, which is a seafood company. And we're trying to bring the excitement around service culture that exists in so many parts of the world to the U.S. Zoe. Hi, everyone. I'm Zoe Croft. I'm the sales director of Atlantic Sea Farms. We're a vertically integrated regenerative kelp aquaculture company based in Maine, really focused on um, telling the farmer story and bringing fresh domestic sea weed to um, consumers across the United States. Awesome. Hi, Nick. Um, Nick Mendoza. I'm founder and CEO of Neptune Snacks. Uh, we're makers of fish jerky and other sustainable ocean snacks to come, trying to bring the most regenerative, nutritious seafood into the portable, convenient space um, with a mission of restoring humankind's relationship with the sea. And I'm Adam, one of the co-founders of Scout. We make deliciously crafted, responsibly sourced seafood, both in tin fish format and also some snacking items as well. Uh, and all of us are members of the Seafood Collab, which is a, a group of about 13 or 14 brands now that are all innovating in seafood CPG really focused on connecting consumers back to ocean health and climate action and just making seafood generally more approachable for U.S. consumers where seafood consumption is actually much lower than, than many other parts of the world. Um, and in 2008, with, with New Hope, we pulled some data. There was about 4,500 brands on display here at Expo, and less than 0.5% of them had anything to do with ocean-harvested foods or seafood. Um, and it's, it's been years since that, since 2018, um, I'd like to think that there's probably maybe now 2% that we could confidently just kind of throw out there of, of a representation. Um, seafood's definitely making its way more into the center of the plate, and Americans are finally embracing the category a little bit more. Uh, and a lot of that is because of the work that everybody here on stage is doing. 
Um, so I'd like to get, I guess, a little bit of feedback on why people should care about our oceans as a food system, maybe starting with you, Nick. Yeah. Um, so I think, like you said, the oceans are often overlooked as a component of the food system. A lot of people think about it as a conservation area or somewhere to do recreation, but the seafood is the most internationally traded food commodity on Earth. Um, between a quarter and half of the people on Earth get their, um, have seafood as their primary protein mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Um, and it's a category it's in the U.S. of the food system that has yet to go through the same kind of renaissance that we're seeing in, you know, other, other corners of staples of grains and, um, just about every, you know, we're here at the show. I don't need to reiterate, I guess, but my career before this was as a marine scientist. And I really saw that there was this huge disconnect with people understanding how to even make the right choices in seafood if they desired to and were committed to do that. But universally, there seemed to be this acknowledgement that I know seafood is healthy. You know, by and large, the whole category should be eating more of it. I'm afraid to cook it. I don't know that I'm going to make the right choice in terms of sustainability. And it seemed there was a gap that brands could help bridge uh, to help solve those things for consumers. Right on. So what's your interpretation of why consumers should pay attention or want to be interested in portions of the food system? I think as it applies to like being here at Expo and, and seeing the kind of traceability and the kind of climate focused um, interest in food and the impact that you can make speaks, um, you know, really beautifully to, to seafood and, and ocean harvested products, um, you know, for Atlantic Sea Farms showing and and showcasing our partner farmer network and the traceability and the um, nutritional benefit that um, seafood can have. I think that that's um, something that I love, love seeing grow in this space. And I think that's happened with terrestrial agriculture for a long time. We've kind of had to to rework how we farmed our foods. We've kind of made mistakes in that space in the past. And, you know, for, for sustainable seafood and, and seaweeds, I think, you know, really focusing on, on how we harvest, how we fish, how we grow, um, this kind of future of food is really important. And we're kind of at the forefront of that. I think we all kind of represent um, best practices in that area. So for, um, for us and, and, and for me, I just think that we're really uniquely positioned to make a positive impact and, and do that from day one. And that's what gets me excited about the work that we do and, and kind of being a super fan of, of, of these brands up here. So, um, yeah, I just, I think there's an ocean of possibilities. <laughs> I think the reason that they should care is, I mean, when I started working in this industry, seafood was not my background. And I think I was a pretty average American consumer and seafood consumer and my knowledge of the seafood space was a pretty good representation of the general understanding of that space. Um, And as I've gotten deeper and deeper into the industry, it has become abundantly clear that the general understanding of, um, you know, the ocean as a food system is extremely lacking amongst American consumers. I mean, that's obviously the consumer base that I've been focused on. And I think we all just need to take a second and understand that we have so much to learn about the ocean as a food system. And the industry has really done, you know, not a tremendous job at educating people about how we can best respect the ocean as a food system and how we can make it uh, much more generally consumed and prepared protein in our country. So um, I think that's it. I think it's looking at, wow, the average American consumer has so much to learn and 
just recognizing that it is the most regenerative food system that we could potentially have and the general population knows so little about it. I think that just shows how much potential we all have to help people get into that space and, and you know, everyone For has sure. to go in terms of education. I guess that that's where, I mean, I find this so, so fascinating because we're, we're all kind of changing the narrative through branding and, and, you know, through the stories that we tell and it's all about stories, right? It's all about narrative. And, um, you know, I used to be the creative director of Pokemon and I, I've surfed for a long, long time. And my sort of point of view was that I have a unique opportunity to really tell a story beyond just a product. We didn't just want to make a product that was just whatever, but we wanted to really get people interested in the oceans. And that was step one, right? If you, if you get kids and families and people just interested in the thing, you kind of already have, you have half the battle right there. And that's where we started. Well, to see, see where your um, food comes from. And, and that speaks to, to, I think, the seafood industry as a whole. So for us, 1.5 million pounds of kelp coming out of the water in about four weeks. And, and we're excited to get that both in our products, but also across the board into, into people's products across all categories, not just seafood. I think something that's interesting about our our group here is you now we're not we're not talking about seafood necessarily at the at the counter right where you would maybe see whole fish or or fillets we're talking about seafood innovation across every category and I think that that's pretty new um, for a lot of people and, and exciting for us and just the potential growth of of seafood across all different kind of concepts. And Adam, we'd love to hear from you about Scout and, and your process. Oh, I, I'll get there and talk about that. <laughs> and the, the ingredient side, I mean, like how you're using you know, nori in your products and you have a variety of applications for kelp across many products. I think it is, you know, about showcasing the raw material of the, the that exists within our oceans and waterways that can be used across hundreds of different products and applications. So we're representing a class of brands that are showing how to use primary ingredients or secondary ingredients in our products. Uh, and it's creating a bit of a flywheel effect and hopefully to inspire other brands to continue with their innovation. But yeah, Nick, do you want to talk a little bit about... about uh... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the first I kind of want to acknowledge here is like how insane it would be if this panel was called Innovation Emerging Land Food. Products. Yeah. Like <laughs> the fact that it's even all pooled together is... <laughs> You know, there's 650 is that right, species of seaweed in Maine and a thousand in New Zealand and hundreds of commercially viable species of fish and shellfish and bivalves around the world that in the grocery store, we sort of put them in their dark little corner and mm-hmm. in the, the mind share, it's, we're not viewing them as product or ingredients and um, proteins that you find and work into your, your diet in a lot of ways in the U.S. Whereas that is the case in so many other parts of the world where um, seafood is as integral a part of your, your snacking daily life as it is a part of the nightly meals and stuff. So talking about the challenge of getting consumers to change in an existing pattern, we obviously do fish jerky. And the first question a lot of times is like, wait, is it gross? Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to taste fishy? I think the best service that any of us can be doing as kind of emerging brands is making really, really good products because that's the best marketing it's not convincing somebody to try something once it's them liking it so much that they come back second or third or fourth time and they tell five friends about mm-hmm. it and then a note of diversity of species and diversity of protein sources our two source fisheries we use uh, pacific rockfish caught off the coast of oregon and washington and wild alaska pollock two white fish 
not great name recognition in the market and you know, investors and other people ask, why don't you just stick to salmon? Why don't you do salmon jerky? And there's elements of the product itself and how we're trying to mimic a very a traditional taste texture profile to, to beef jerky, the nutritional side too. But, you know, first and foremost, it's because those are two of the best places we could be sourcing, you know, you know regenerative MSC, top MSC certified fish, as well as a model of, kind of upcycling undervalued cuts of filets that we have as well. But the solution to the name recognition thing is this, this is fish jerky. It's delicious. It is 25 grams of protein, mega threes, here's the profile. It meets what the consumer is maybe looking for and solves the problem for, you know, sets of people who may be used to enjoy eating animal protein based jerkies or meat snacks wouldn't are, are no longer and are looking for something to fit that niche in their behavioral patterns. Mm-hmm. So, but I guess the biggest point I can make on the marketing is you can do all the marketing world, but your, your products have to be a good ambassador for what you're doing to try to Merge the category, you yeah. know, where we can meet consumers where they're at with a familiar fish, and then actually develop brand trust, uh, and then we can guide them towards more responsible species at scale. And something that you've been really amazing at, Becca, is brand collaborations, and I think that's been a huge superpower for Fishwife. Um, is leveraging community and brand experience and these partnerships to bring new consumers to the category that otherwise probably didn't shop anything but. Tuna, you want to tell us a little bit about some of the collaborations and how it's been working for you? Yeah. I mean, I think our general marketing approach has been sort of doing everything that the seafood industry had not tried before. So, I mean, first and foremost, really just trying to present an approachable, familiar, welcoming face at every juncture. If you don't know a lot about seafood sustainability or if you don't know a lot about seafood, which again, many Americans don't, it feels, it has felt a little bit unapproachable. Um, So what we tried to do is create a brand that would be basically universally appealing to people. So I think in some ways, like John, it's like we created a very colorful palette. We created the central figure of the fishwife for people to sort of form a bond with, which, you know, when you think about the seafood brands of your, there's not a lot to, you know, sink your teeth into and form a relationship with. So that has been sort of like the macro marketing strategy. And on that point, I think we've chosen many brands to partner with who we feel have formed a very strong consumer base. So like we have this hero product with this incredible um, premium Chinese food brand, Fly by Jing, um, that has a super strong, you know, very familiar, committed, engaged consumer base. Um, And we partnered with them, you know, as a great means of using a product that people know and love, which is their chili crisp sauce putting it, packing it in our beautiful product of smoked salmon, which we pack at Akone. Shout out West in the back. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, using that as the hook to bring people into, bring that demographic of consumer, which is a broad demographic, into the seafood space. Um, so, you know, it goes both ways. It's like people love Fly by Jing. Then they try the product and they think the salmon is delicious as, and it becomes an entree into the rest of our, into the rest of our products. And we've done that several times with several different brands, um, both in the food space and not. You guys had, you know, instances where you've tried something marketing wise that you really believed in, had a lot of conviction around and then had to kind of move away from. Zoe? <laughs> I'm just smiling thinking about um, a, a product which we 
all love. It's one of our, our favorites at the office, our sea beet sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that beets are polarizing and then kelp is the challenge. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're you're trying to focus on a very small um, group of people that both want the earthy umami of, of kelp and um, our diehard beet fans. So I think for us, it's been one of those things where, you know, as we scale and as we grow, um, really finding the the correct flavor profile and, and figuring out really who our consumer is and, you know, kelp and fermented foods. Um, there's a lot of overlap there. Kimchi, sauerkrauts. Um, we make a delicious fermented seaweed salad playing on kind of more traditional flavors of sesame and tamari. So I think for us, as we kind of innovate, kind of keeping that in mind of like, you know, sometimes we want to really push the envelope. I think one thing I was going to say just quickly about um, things that have not worked well from a marketing perspective with our customers. This is actually something I haven't done because I've been scared to do it, which is to show, to go very deep into sort of the, the harvesting and processing and production content. Because I'm always trying to figure out a line of, you know, what do our consumers actually want to see? Like, I went to the trout farm. Adam and I both sourced from the same incredible trout farm in Idaho. And when I went, you know, it's it's so fascinating. Yeah. Like, these, the raceways are being fed by these ancient aquifers. It's all fresh water you can drink straight from the aquifer. It's really stunning. But do consumers actually want to see a raceway where a trout is is raised? Like, is that going to be interesting? Is it going to make them want to eat the product? Or do they want that to be, you know, sheltered behind the brand and only see the pretty colorful packaging? So that's something I've really gone back and forth on. And I have, you know, a lot of friends that I text videos and pictures to and say... Cool or gross? <laughs> I mean, I think that that's something that I, I talk a lot about with, with the buyers that, that we deal with. And Atlantic Sea Farms has um, 10 SKUs across four different categories in, in, in retail formats and ingredient and food service. And it's just like the flexibility in which, you know, we can showcase these products. And, you know, for, for us... There are a lot of certifications that people ask about. And, and, you know, I'm always talking about like kelp is 100% for the planet. And, and there's so many things that we can be doing to kind of improve the health of our oceans and the consumer and like really educating everyone on how to make strategic buying decisions. And, and, you know, there, sometimes I, I find it fascinating to be educating a seafood buyer about seafood, just because there has been such stagnant growth within that category. And now we're all coming at it from this really unique perspective where they have not been challenged in the past to think differently or think outside of kind of their comfort zone. And so, you know, a, a lot of times we're up against these large um, imitation meat um, mm-hmm. products and and we see all these people wanting real food and and there's nothing more you know single ingredient than fish or seaweed or you know mussels oysters there's a lot of data just showing that people are really interested in this in this kind of movement and I think because sea food and ocean harvested or aquatic harvested ingredients can be kind of complex. And it also confuses the grocery buyers of like, where does this product belong? And this is something that we're either 
kind of break our products out of the conventional category that's considered to be in and to give it new points of discovery. So, I mean, we're constantly trying to get our, our tin fish products into the seafood counter where folks are shopping for fresh seafood or frozen seafood as an equally valuable and delicious product. Um, and that's, that's got its own complexity because they get bumped into the center store buyer who wants to have priority on it. And what about you, John? I mean, do you want your products to belong like besides salty snacks and be an alternative to chips or do you see Absolutely. That? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people try and sort of peg us into like, oh, Asian snacks or like, you know, baby snacks, you know, people merchandise next to all the kind of, all the other salty snacks. I think we, I'd be, I think we'd be fine. I think people will realize what the difference is immediately. Visually, very different from from traditional snacks. And I think that's what we want. We want that difference. We want people to be like, oh, that one. <laughs> and it's designed to be to, to do exactly that. And um, yeah, I think, I think um, but I, I am really hopeful though. I think this is something that we love and I think we feel very strongly about the work that we do and we're passionate about it, And that's, that's all that really matters, right? Mm-hmm. I think the next generation is going to have a, a broader palette and a broader sense of being a responsible consumer. Mason, there's movement happening. All right. Well, such a great conversation that we just heard. And we're going to share more about a few of those companies now and then a few others in this episode's edition of The List. It's time for The List. Jenna, your first The List. Woo! So excited. I love The List. Yes. Okay. Let's start. Let's start with our first company, Scout. Yeah. So, um, Scout, we've talked a lot about this this year, especially with climate day proceedings. If you were there and heard any of the conversations that consumers and even our industry alike are looking for joy and hope in our products. Um, a lot of the doom and gloom is just not connecting and, and bringing consumers closer to the, the offerings that we're taking to market. And I just think that Scout is a brand that does this really well. Um, Adam Bent, one of their co-founders has talked about how we could mention oil spills and climate change, but that's not going to get consumers activated. So their product is one that just brings joy and fun and convenience to the market. And just so excited to, to add them to the list. Um, it was imagined by Chef Charlotte Langley in 2014, and she joined forces with her co-founders, Adam Bett and Nate Dunn in 2018 to grow Scout to the brand that it is today. And you know, they just they lead with taste and product innovation in everything they do. They're 1% for the planet and certified B Corp um, and really focused on bringing biodiverse and sustainable healthy ingredients to market. Um, one thing that I'm really excited about is their new seafood snacks. Um, they're easy to take with you on the go. They blend a lot of heat and umami flavor into their products. And their new yellowfin tuna line includes tons of fun toppers. I think I've seen chili crisp everywhere this year. Um, and so they incorporate that and chili jalapeno and just some super clean ingredients. If you're looking for just a clean, easy, convenient, fun, exploratory product, this is the way to go. 
Um, they've also got some really cool canned products, which are some of their original launches, like their rainbow trout with dill or mussels. I love these little bivalves that could. They don't need to be fed. They don't need any antibiotics or chemical inputs, and they sequester carbon. So super, super fun product line um, that you can get. Their, their mussels, if we're talking about those, are, are certified organic, hand harvested from Canada. So you have a really clear, traceable um, ingredient sourcing story when you go to Scout, when you go to their website. In terms of the flavor, like you don't have to take my word for it. I was having some fun perusing their website and I saw a review from Brad W. that said, and I quote, my next can, I'm going to just pour it right into my mouth. So good. There you have it. So definitely earned its place on the list. And also, yes, Jenna did say the little bivalves that could. So remember those words, Jenna. Famous, not last words, but famous words from... The one, the only Jenna Fitch, for sure. Okay, I love what they're doing. And Adam did also write a great piece for us on newhope.com uh, for our future food column uh, about protecting our oceans and waterways. So definitely check that as out as well. I love what they're doing in the space. So next up, we have the Seafood Collab. And I'm just now getting more familiar with them. So Jenna, please do jump in with more details on their work. But really exciting to see, you know, similar to the collaborative work that's coming out of the Climate Collaborative and the Jedi Collaborative, the Seafood Collab is a group of seafood and aquaculture producers who are committed to environmental and social responsibility. And we talked about that. We heard some of these members talk about it in the panel, which was really cool, but just how interwoven these supply chains are and really banding together to elevate their work has been so, so powerful. I love this quote. Jenna pulled this quote out from the session, I believe, but like a school of fish, we believe that there is strength in numbers. And so that really kind of embodies their mission and work in the industry. Totally. If you are an emerging brand or just a brand working in this space, um, you can always become a member and you can go visit and learn more at www.seafoodcollab.co. I know the team there is really responsive and would love to talk to you. So definitely get involved. And they're just really focused, like Jessica was saying, on moving seafood and sea plant-based products to the center of the plate in the U.S. where it's not as common right now. And between sharing key learnings and resources and, and helping to educate consumers on this category, as well as buyers on where these products can be placed in the store, they're here to support your brand if you're within this space or to educate if you're looking to learn more to help grow sustainable seafood options in the industry. I think final words on them. I think that their work to encourage biodiversity biodiversity in seafood specifically and focus also on sea plant-based consumption is going to be really important. I mean, I think I'm a relatively adventurous and well-rounded eater and hearing their conversation on the panel made me realize there's so much work to be done to get people like even like someone like myself who considers myself somewhat adventurous to understand all of the amazing ingredients out there and products available. So I think their work in uh, biodiversity and seafood is going to be really, really important to the future of the space. So very cool. Love what Seafood Collab is doing. Uh, next up, Neptune Snacks. Jenna, tell us about Neptune. 
Oh, Neptune's amazing. They're a line of savory fish jerkies. Nick has a really interesting story, and he actually grew up on a cattle ranch in New Mexico, which struck me. I don't know if you've heard Tyler Huggins, one of the co-founders of Needy, talk about this, but he also came from a cattle ranching family. And I think it just gives them, I think Adam, Adam was joking with him during the panel that it means that he can speak beef. So they understand like sustainable cattle ranching and terrestrial agricultural systems. But then he can also look at aquatic fisheries and systems. And he could give you a detailed life cycle analysis of everything that's going in to his products. So his perspective on terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems just brings such a cool a cool outlook to, to his products. Consumers are looking for a healthy product that was also sustainably raised. These are it. Um, Nick's got some really fun flavors that have come out like sweet citrus, ginger, and cracked pepper and spicy Cajun in upcycling. They include an upcycled gin-soaked juniper botanical in one of their flavors, which I think is so cool mixing those, those different trends and sustainability ideas together. Just makes them a really cool product to add to your pantry and to your daily lifestyle. Agree, agree. So cool. And another company that reinforces like all this great work happening behind the scenes around sustainability, but then manifesting in these like absolutely delicious, creative, flavorful, uh, sometimes exotic products. So yes, thanks, Jenna. Next up, okay, let's talk kelp for a second with Atlantic Sea Farms. We've been hearing so much from them for all the great work that they're doing. So they've been at it for a long time now with the goal of diversifying how coastal waters are used and to provide a domestic and healthy alternative to imported seaweed products. They are doing it. Their products are great. They are really utilizing the power of kelp and it also provides, so there's like the nutritional benefits there. There's the sustainability benefits and then also providing another income stream for fishing families that might otherwise just rely on lobster and the things that they've traditionally fished for. So definitely really cool to see that holistic approach to building their business. And uh, yeah, I think they've been they've been covered a lot, right? And I think there was an article in the Atlantic um, that mentioned the work that they're doing and, and really getting out there and spreading the word, which we like to see. They're amazing. They definitely do a wonderful job with their storytelling. Zoe was just talking about in that session how how deep their their storytelling goes with taking consumers out to their harvests and showing everything from, from kelp seed onward so that people can understand where these foods are coming from. It's amazing. I mean, when Justice mentioned nutrition, kelp contains over 20 different vitamins and minerals. So if you're seeking iron, vitamin A, vitamin B12, I'm always looking for B12s. Iodine is another important one that helps regulate your thyroids. It got antioxidants, support a healthy gut microbiome. So there's so, so much that's in, involved in this product that I think consumers are really, really excited about. It's good stuff. Bottom line, good stuff chock full of all of the things. Thank you, Jenna, for that rundown. And yeah, it's it's great to see the mainstreaming of that as, a, as an ingredient um, for the variety of benefits it offers. Okay, Sea Monsters. Let's talk about the next company on the list, Sea Monsters. I do have a fun pun that John and the team at Sea Monsters use. And if you go to their website and you want to sign up for their email list to learn more, they say, don't be a turtle stranger. I love that pun. Um, okay, so if we're going the turtle route, this movement has a very long shell 
life. Well, Sea Monsters is is so exciting. They are out to change the narrative about seaweed. And it's it's through a lot of their creative branding. So John Lee, one of the co-founders, was formerly the creative director at Pokemon, which when you take a look at their products, you will know that right away. They've got the cutest characters that, that are out there trying to bring people in. Uh, John talks about them as a Trojan horse where you might see their products, whether it's in the kids, kids section, um, or in like an Asian food section, he would prefer that these products be lined up on the shelf with salty snacks and everything else that people see and just try it for the flavor. It's delicious. And they've got some really fun, fun flavors like sour cream and onion and cheese pizza that his kids loved. And that was their, their first, um, trial in, in flavor profiles and such. One of the other, in addition to their creative and adorable branding, is also the sustainability story behind this. We've talked a lot about seaweed and and how they only need like sunshine, carbon dioxide, naturally occurring nutrient inputs to grow. But then they also use sorghum, which is adapted to climate challenges like heat and drought. And it requires 30% less water than other grains. And it captures around 25% more carbon than other grass-based crops. So it has a really cool story in addition to a great taste. I'm a big fan of what they're doing. I think it's really fresh and unique and um, fun, you know, and, and layering that on top of all of the sustainability work that they're doing. I think that's cool. And seeing him come from a background in Pokemon is just, it's a whole interesting thing that they're doing. So, okay. I want to talk about another company that is making its way onto the list this week, which is Rootless. And this is really being positioned as like your once a day bite of nutrition. It's also powered by seaweed, like some of the great companies that we've talked about, how seaweed can be beneficial to healthy thyroid function, and just all of the essential nutrients that you're getting from seaweed. And if you go on their website, you can see that they have a really unique polished brand to them. When I met with their founder, it's also a woman-owned company at Expo. She just talked about how she wants to kind of change the whole positioning of this category of seaweed, just make it really kind of sophisticated and chic. And they're doing it with this product. They're delicious. They come in uh, some really mouth-watering flavors, cacao crunch and toasted hazelnut. I have been having one a day and it's a nice little treat. You can definitely taste a little bit of that seaweed, but it has great flavors in there. And um, more than anything, I think the delivery and this like beautiful, chic can um, or tin that she she packages some of her products in and some of the ideas and, and flavor profiles like coconut chai and orange pistachio, a couple of the other ones I just think is original and fun. And I think she's going to bring a really fresh perspective to the space. So Rootless, another company on the list. And I think we're we're ready. We're wrapping up, Jenna, right? I think we have one more spot this week on the list. Yes. And I'm so excited to talk about this brand. It's another amazing female-founded company focused on educating consumers and truly upending how the seafood industry has always done things. When you think about seafood, like I think about the the seafood counter, but not really like beautiful branding or storytelling or something that I can really connect with. And co-founders Becca Milstein and Carolyn Goldfarb have have really done a service to the industry, changing this up. They're all about colorful and fun connections with consumers. And um, Becca has talked about how they haven't had a central figure like Fishwife, who is their kind of central pillar to this brand that consumers can form a bond with and create a relationship with. And if you look at the story of this Fishwife, they 
um, they've said that the term dates back to the 16th century and referred to daughters or wives of fishermen who sold fish at the market. And it eventually evolved into a gendered insult, mostly for women who are brash, foul mouthed and brassy. And they said, you know what, we relate. So they're taking this, this brand to a, to a new level and really bringing some fun and playfulness with it. They are also master collaborators. So we talked earlier about how important collaboration is to growing this. And they've done some really cool partnerships. They've done some, they found some unlikely allies, like with a jewelry company to bring in new consumers. And then one that I was really excited about is their partnership with the premium Chinese food brand Fly by Jing. Um, their packaging is beautiful. It's whimsical and it's all responsibly raised or caught by small boat fishermen. So definitely check these guys out. Thank you, Jenna. Oh, I'm sad that this list has come to an end. Jenna, you had so many great companies and ideas to share today. You'll be hearing from Jenna quite a bit. We'll bring her on The Naturalist often to share some of the great content that she's bringing to Expos and beyond. And I don't know about you, Jenna, but I'm going to go have a secret report. Want to be on The Naturalist? Send us an email at thenaturalist at newhope.com. 